You are listening to Down Home. I remember first hearing about BIPOC. My first reaction was questioning the need for another acronym to describe racialized people. But then the racial reckoning of 2020 happened and it made a little more sense. Then I heard about the burning of Mi'kmaq fishing boats and the acronym made even more sense. Then I heard about the unmarked graves of children being discovered and I finally understood. Our communities face different but similar struggles. As black indigenous people of color, we must stand together. Poet and indigenous activist Rebecca Thomas joins me and Jay for a discussion about some of the issues that our indigenous brothers and sisters face today. Welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience by two black men. I'm Derek Wise, and as always, we have Mr. Jay Jones. What's happening? And our conversation this week is with former Halifax Port Laureate, Poet Laureate, sorry, <laughs> and uh, Indigenous advocate, Rebecca Thomas. Rebecca, how you doing? I'm doing all right. It's Oliatik uh, Boog. It's a good day. Excellent. Great. Well, it is part, a good day. It is a good day, really. Uh, part of the reason why we, we wanted to have you on is to uh, give uh, some of the issues that are surrounding the Indigenous po- uh, community a little bit of a voice on our podcast. And um, one of the ones that's really circul- circulating around the, um, the media right now is the uh, the mass grave sites that have been found um, in our in our country, uh, it's surprising, but it wasn't surprising us because I I actually remember hearing about this issue like way back in the '90s. But um, why do you think that uh, the media has kind of caught on to what happened in Kamloops and then the other sites later on? What what what's different? Why why has this captured the media media's attention recently? Well, we, we, and like, we, I mean, like the indigenous communities that are out there, we've known about these for so long. We've talked about them. They were talked about um, in the TRC. So the truth and reconciliation, the, the, the calls, the 94 calls to action. So it's like, we've known about these for a very long time. Survivors have been telling their stories for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now we're in this really great space where people are able to kind of directly reach like huge audiences, right? Whether it be through social media, through things like this, um, that we can kind of direct it, uh, directly address and talk to people. So when this stuff's coming out and you have people who are, who are tweeting about it and they're, you know, they're putting it on their Instagram, they're, you know, doing educational TikToks, they're, you know, really kind of putting it out there um, unfiltered, it, it leaves little choice, I think, for a lot of media to, to follow it. And in addition to that, you're seeing a lot more Indigenous journalists, you're seeing a lot more journalists of color, like moving into that realm and telling these stories, deciding to tell these stories and pitching mm-hmm. these stories, right? Like mm-hmm. newsrooms were very white for a long time, right? And I mean, they're still very white, but yeah. you are seeing, you know, people like my community members who are like moving in and wanting to tell these stories and having 
direct access to community in order to do that. And I think that that's part of it is that you have storytellers who, who have come from these communities now able to tell these stories from a first voice instead of filtered through um, the white noise. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What, what, in your opinion, what, what is lacking in the federal government's response I well, I think there's like that genuine action. Like that's like that's what it is. We get a lot of response. We get a lot of Trudeau showing up at churches and kneeling around tiny shoes. And yeah. we get a lot of flags at half mass and orange t-shirts ordered from the bay, which is yeah. really messed up to begin with. Very like, big time. Right. But we don't see necessarily action like going back to, you know, my rant before I lost my place was that tied to land. And so like so much of our rights as indigenous people is tied to the land and the land is what makes Canada wealthy. Mm -hmm. And so in order to respect our rights, we need to look at our economy differently. And I don't think that that's going to happen to be quite cynical, because if we were to return stewardship of the land back to its original caretakers, which is us, you wouldn't have, you know, massive mining projects and, you know, potash mines and deforestation to mm -hmm. the extent that we're seeing it right now, yeah. which would put Canada's, you know, standing as a wealthy developed nation in jeopardy. Yeah, um, for sure. And so I think that's that's where you see like the uniqueness of our rights causing a direct impact um, into politics. And that's because our rights are tied to what makes Canada rich. Mm -hmm. yeah, true, yeah. true, 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 true. All right. Well, let's let's switch gears. Um, what what do you think are the challenges that the indigenous community face when it comes to actual education? Because I think um, if I read your bio correctly, you do uh, work in education as well and mm -hmm. in, in advocating in, for the uh, indigenous population. I mean, I think you might see a lot of similarities between um, what people like in you know experiencing in your community in that I think this notion of people who think that racism or anti-indigenous racism or anti-black racism or xenophobic you know xenophobia is that it needs to be like this kind of overt expression of people walking around and like throwing pejoratives and slurs out there and like that's the only kind of racism that exists yeah. but not necessarily recognizing that really well-meaning kind people can still perpetuate systems of racism, um, but because they're kind or because they're well-meaning or because they pay, you know, lots of money to charity and they, you know, they volunteer in all these areas, they don't see themselves capable of participating in perpetuating racism or systemic racism. And so when you have these really lovely, kind-hearted people that you push back and challenge, you know, in their intentions, then there's this automatic defensiveness that kicks in and it gets really difficult in which to have those conversations if there isn't any humility um, in those conversations because mm -hmm. someone can say, but I'm a good person. I said, I never said you weren't a good person, but I'm saying yeah. you're, help you're participating in a system that was built to exclude us specifically. Um, and so you can maybe not, you know, call me a redskin or a squab, but you are participating in a system that maintains, you know, that continuously like violates our treaty rights, or, you know, you participate in a system of government that has a department of indigenous affairs. Like how messed up is that? That there's mm -hmm. like a non-indigenous person who sits at the top of a department and a ministry that governs how we are to be treated and our, yeah. our rights are to be implemented. I was like, that's yeah. really messed up. <laughs> like if I yeah. had a department of white affairs, you'd probably feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's there's a weird a, thing. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a sadness to, to, the status quo you know what i mean like that 
it just seems like along the top, they were like, well, we're going to give you a little bit, but we're not going to completely change because yeah. we want to maintain our power. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. it's like you're benefiting from a system that has caused harm to my community. And I'm not saying that, you know, like that's, that's the option, right? Like at this moment, whether it be like participating in a capitalist world, like I go to work so that I can live and eat, like that's mm -hmm. the nature of this world. And it's probably the only option that I have in this moment, but I need other people to recognize that this is not a good thing, like that we can imagine a world beyond this yeah. um, and that you need to participate in that because at some point in time, I'm sure we couldn't think beyond like, you know, divine monarchs in the feudal system. And yet we have moved beyond that. Right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so it, I think we need to look at that. Um, mm -hmm. And because it's, yeah, like you said, that status quo, that like, it's not good enough for your status quo because your status quo means that a lot of my community have substandard living conditions. Yeah. Mm. And they suffer. They continue to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. Now um, Derek and I are both, you know, we're both in Toronto now, but we grew up in Nova Scotia, Halifax, and we're well aware of, you know, our roots and uh, what has gone in the, on in the black community by Bi biracial children sometimes struggle with uh, their own identity. Now, do you think this is the case with indigenous since there's so much displacement and, and other things going on? Absolutely. I think that there's like all different kind of um, areas with that. Like it's, it's not just like, you're, you're, you know, an FBI, a full-blooded Indian, or you're not, like, it's not mm -hmm. so much that, like, that there is, like, a hierarchy within society based off of these, like, systems of racism we've talked about already. I can be very white passing. I have pale skin, especially in the wintertime. That affords mm -hmm. me, like, a tremendous amount of privilege, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but then we see recently that there was a big Sephora campaign for Indigenous people, and they didn't feature any Afro-Indigenous people. And a lot of the Afro-Indigenous people were saying, like, we're just as Indigenous as you are and you didn't feature mm -hmm. us like you completely excluded us so you have people who are like myself who are white and indigenous and then you have people who are black and indigenous or asian and indigenous who aren't seeing representation so like i have a lot of privilege and yes i have like my dad went to residential school and i grew up in a really rough way and you know trying to reclaim culture has been a challenge in, in a lot of ways but i also carry a certain amount of privilege with the with the skin that i'm in and i see representation of myself, you know, for the most part, I see white and indigenous mixed people within like the very small sphere in the media that you, you'll see us represented. But I know that there's a lot of mixed indigenous people who don't see themselves represented in any capacity. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's that's really shitty of us as indigenous people to exclude them saying, well, mm, well you don't meet our internalized stereotypes right, as right, well. Right, right. And so you see that within our own community. Like, like we, we have a lot of work to do to address a lot of our own issues that we've internalized patriarchy, anti-black racism, um, homophobia, a lot of that stuff came with colonization and mm -hmm. we need to work on unlearning that too. And so right. there is a big cultural reclamation that needs to happen for folks like myself who was displaced that my dad went to residential school could never connect back to his community and so I grew up in a very white town in New Brunswick um, but then there's also folks who have been displaced in in another way because we we as indigenous people can sometimes gatekeep our own members and that's really mm -hmm. really crummy of us yeah so so your father uh went to the residential schools eh oh mm -hmm. wow yeah. now um so being displaced in 
growing up the way you did in a chaotic world and and probably lost some of your identity because mm-hmm. it probably just sort of passed on, uh, you know, and you became a product of your environment. Mm-hmm. What did that mean to you internally? Like, did how did how did you deal with the, you know, trying to find out your identity, knowing the attachment of half of half of who you are was, <laughs> you know, uh, indigenous. Yeah, well, it wasn't something that my dad ever really talked about, which is a very common thing. Like residential school, if there's one thing that they did incredibly well was making Indigenous people ashamed of who we were, right? And so my Mm -hmm. dad had a lot of shame over what had happened to him in residential school. He experienced a lot of abuse and a lot of awful things. And and like he, he never wanted to talk about that. And he struggled with addiction and, you know, and, um, and it's like that very kind of like sad story of like, you know, broken home. I grew up with a lot of violence, like, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and coming, coming back to it has always been like a, a bit of a challenge and like seeing my dad struggle the way that he did. I remember being really mad because I didn't know that he went to residential school until I was in my twenties. And then when I found out that he went to residential school, all of a sudden my anger became very directed at like a government that would have targeted kids to solve a problem of resource allocation. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, so that made me really mad. And then as a woman in my thirties, I'm like, well, I'm still kind of mad at my dad too, because I was a kid and he was an adult, you know? And like, and so there's also like, and and I'm like allowing myself to be mad because for a long time I was like, well, I'm not allowed to be angry because he experienced so much, you know, awful stuff. But at the same time, you know, I was this little kid. And so, you know, the very kind of long circle back to your question is that because I don't speak Mi'kmaq fluently or because I didn't grow up on reserve for a long time, I thought that I wasn't like Mi'kmaq enough. But then when you really kind of sit down and think about it. And it's like, the reason I'm so fractured is because my dad got forcibly taken to a school, mm-hmm. like the residential schooling system, which is an incredibly indigenous story here in Canada, yeah. as yeah. tragic as it happens to be. And so there's been this kind of big, like, it's this big pendulum swing. Like of course. You know, when I'm first getting into it, it's like, like as much beaded jewelry and like leathers and feathers and no one's going to mistake me for who I am. Mm-hmm, and then, you mm-hmm. know, and that's like when I'm much younger and like now it's like, well, it doesn't matter if I have like curly hair or if I wear beaded earrings or not, like I'm still Mi'kmaq and I'm still, my community yeah. claims me back and I'm relearning my language and I know my territories and, mm-hmm. you know, and so like that's the process is like yeah, getting comfortable with who I am. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's very interesting. Actually. I, um I have a very good, good friend who um, uh, grew up in the, in the uh, Mi'kmaq band. Um, and like looking back on, on his experience now, uh, his family actually decided to go the other way because they're very white passing and they decided to almost exclude themselves from the community. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I look back and, and um, like, I remember having conversations with Harold and um, there was no, there really wasn't any identification uh, of himself being in the community. And I don't know if that was passed down from his mother or, or not, but, um, but then in our older years, I remember going back and his mother has, has now uh, claimed a more active role in the band. Yeah. Mm. And that's, that's what residential school did. It just, they made you ashamed of being 
you know, only they made you ashamed of being Indian. They made you ashamed of being native like mm -hmm. that, that it, it was, you know, all of those monikers of like dirty Indian and like drunk mm -hmm. Indian and like yeah. useless Indian, like all of those, like you wanted to separate yourself from that because you believed it. Yeah. Like you internalized that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like, it's not surprising. And so this, this we're on this like massive intergenerational healing, like journey to be like, no, like they were wrong. So you see a lot of like young, like Inuit people who are, who are getting like their tattoos done on their face, you know, again, mm -hmm. and that's so beautiful to see because yeah. they were taught that that was savage or that was uncivilized or that was ugly. And so to see young people like reclaim their traditional markings in that way mm -hmm. is it, like that, ooh, that's, that's like so heartening. I was mm -hmm. at a powwow yesterday and uh, for like before grand entry. So before everybody goes into like powwow, like the, the, the dance circle or whatever, they always have all the grass dancers come out because what grass dancers do is that they would pat down the grass. They're like the scouts, right. To make sure that the arena is safe. And they, it was just at a, a university powwow. So we didn't have like a huge amount of grass dancers. There's one grass dancer and it was a little kid. Um, mm -hmm. And so he was so shy and like, but he went out and like, he had like the arena director and the MC were like our older Mi'kmaq guys. And they're like encouraging him. And he starts and he goes out and my friend beside me, who's also Mi'kmaq, just like burst into tears to see like the youth, like reclaim their culture, like in that way. And to be so brave in that moment and like brave in practicing his, who he is like, and like, mm -hmm. that's the, the weird juxtaposition and the sad part of it was like, you know, it was brave because he was doing something that that he should have been doing his whole life but like mm -hmm. is kind of like doing now and and so there's like a lot of like bittersweet and you know and joy and tragedy in that so it's tragic that yeah he has to relearn this but there's so much joy in that that this kid was doing it yeah know? it's 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 good that you can that people can re reclaim their their cultural pride you know even if systemically it's tough and and you know all those things have fractured you know yeah. most communities today but i think in some sense of of being you kind of have to sort of hold on to that something to just feel that immense pride to maybe rise to the occasion of the things that you're going to face so hopefully you know i mean i don't know where where, where the world is going to go but yeah. i feel i feel we're at it kind of a tipping point myself but it uh, seems like it doesn't it? yeah and we deserve like pr like joy like that's the other thing too is like so much about like educating about like the stuff around us and when we see representation it's it's like it's like trauma representation it's like rooted in like all the awful things that happen. And those things are super important to talk about. Yeah. But like, I also want joy. Like mm. I want to see like, like native people fall in love and, and comics and, and like culture being done in really cool ways and like contemporary indigenous art. Like I want to see that in addition to like learning about missing murdered indigenous women in the yeah. 60s group and the overrepresentation of children mm -hmm. in care and undrinkable water like that's super important but like i can't constantly only see myself represented in trauma because that's mm -hmm. friggin exhausting it is yeah. isn't it yeah it's it's it takes its toll <laughs> mm -hmm. for sure now um uh, how I found you to, to uh, was uh, on, actually on Instagram. Um, I didn't find you per se, but um, there was a, a person who came out with this book called uh, Jim Crow also lived here. I think his name was Len Paris and uh, he grew up in New Glasgow and he lives here in Ontario and he wrote a memoir uh, uh, depicting his life story and what he saw growing up. And one day I was just sort of, 
looking around and and he posted um your uh your poem uh mm-hmm. what are their names and uh, and uh, it sort of got my you know my wheels turning i was like oh i i should try to reach out to her just because like i'm a i i love poetry as well and and i did listen to the the poem and it, it was very powerful and um uh, what was that moment for you growing up and seeing what you've seen what was that moment when you felt you could use poetry as as a way to express yourself and what your you know your your people your the indigenous community yeah. was going through I just, I just tried it. I, it's, so I had a colleague who asked me if I know, if I knew who Elle Jones was. And I said, no, I don't, I don't know who she is. And she said, oh, well, she knows she's this black woman and she does this incredible poetry and she talks a lot about this. And then we had this conversation about a lot of similarities between Mm -hmm. our communities in Nova Scotia. Um, And so I, you know, went to YouTube and I looked up, you know, some of Elle's stuff. And I was like, I want to, I wonder if I can do that. And so, yeah. <laughs> and so I tried it yeah. and so I, like, I wrote this piece and it, and it went well. And, you know, and I, and I went to an open mic and, and I definitely did not have the stage presence at that point that right, I, I think I have now. And, you know, I had a really dry mouth and I have a notebook <laughs> and, and I did Nerves. it and it, yes, yeah, crazy <laughs> nerves. And it was, it was the Word is Bond Speak series that Elle was actually um, kind of hosting in mm-hmm. uh, at the company house at the time on mm-hmm. Godigan Street. And she said, oh, like, hey, and she likes, you know, did her Elle Jones thing. And she's like, I'm gonna put you out for a bike. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> and it went really well. And then I came back the next month and I did another piece. And then, then I came back the following month and then she, and Elle was hosting and I think she put me really on the spot. And she says, and I'd like to invite Rebecca Thomas to be our feature next month. Oh, and I'd only wow. ever written at like, like I'd only written like three poems at this point in time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, I guess yeah, I gotta yeah. write some poetry. Wow. <laughs> and that's kind of how it started. And I just give Elle all of the credit in the world mm-hmm. for being so encouraging and yeah. so sharp and so like willing to have these conversations of like the they just like the the, the problematic the system is you know yeah. like the system tm <laughs> yeah um we we were fortunate enough to have l jones on as a guest uh, for one of our episodes as well uh she's an amazing amazing woman and it's so Very funny impressive. um uh it's not funny i mean it's a good thing um uh rocky jones sort of encouraged her back in the day to keep doing what you're doing and it's amazing that's the beautiful thing that you're talking about that joy of people coming together to to empower us and like even though some poetry can be sad and whatever the case may be it still can take you on a journey and it's still and then when you get that presence I'm sure you have it now you know you're able to really stand in the space of who you are and share it and I think a lot of people are open to that more so now that they have ever been you know yeah and there's this like this very kind of freeing thing and it, I don't know for you folks but it's very different or at least in my experience as a woman that there's this you definitely are socialized like that being liked is like the most important thing in the world mm-hmm. like to be to be liked right because you didn't want to be you know a bitchy woman or a nag or you know all these things and so for a very long time I was, I like, it was being liked. Like if somebody didn't like me, it just, it just tore me up. Like it, it really impacted me. And then I got to this point, whether it was like 
therapy or enough like bullshit in my life where I was like, yeah. I don't care if I'm liked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it was like so freeing. So like yeah. to do like these really difficult poems or have these really challenging conversations or to like step forward in like a meeting when someone's saying something that's really just like like awful just being like mm -hmm. no excuse me can you be yeah. more specific like what do yeah. you mean by that mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. and when eventually when I started being able to do that I was like oh this is so much power now I understand why they wanted us to <laughs> to be the, like to yeah. be so demure because when mm -hmm. you start being able to like harness that power it's really feels good yeah well, that's, <laughs> that's 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 good yeah, I know you saw our questions that we sent. And, mm -hmm. and I also uh, asked if you could possibly uh, perform sure. uh, that that poem. Uh, what are their names? Yeah, um, it came about after they found, you know, all of the kids in Kamloops and then they started finding other kids. But um, my dad went to residential school and he had a specific Nigama name. Mm -hmm. um, and he doesn't know what it is now because right. he went speaking and he went only speaking Nigawan, he left speaking only English. Um, and so for me, it's like, I, like my, I, I don't know what my dad's real name is. He doesn't wow. know what his name is. And so it's like, I wow. wanted to, because like so often that we talk about this as like a marker in history. Yeah. But it's like, these were little kids and they had like things that they liked and things that made them laugh, and mm. things that they were afraid of. And, and like that all gets erased away when they get given a number. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's called What Are Their Names? Thank you. Cool. <clears throat> A little boy drags his feet on the sidewalk. He's got braids and he's walking a dog with a spot. He looks like he's completing a chore that I'm certain is a total bore. He would rather be playing video games when a friend calls his name. There's a little girl riding her bike, followed by a younger sibling on a trike. The littlest one looks ready for a fight. Watched by Gran who keeps them in sight, the breeze blows through their curly manes with helmets bejeweled with their names. On her first day of school, she wears her best shoes. She clings to her mother's hand like glue. The school bell rings and her best friends sing. She's nervous and excited all the same. On the edge of her desk is a sign where she writes down her name. He falls on the playground and scrapes his knee. He's scared because it starts to bleed. He's scooped up in loving arms, one designed to save him from harm. His father comforts him. You're okay, he proclaims. He holds his boy tight as he coos his name. My friend's belly grows so big. Inside is a tiny little gift worth every moment of sick. Snacking all day is the doctor's prescribed trick while her favorite song plays. She and her husband fuss over names. They don't have any choice, their parents urge. They want to avoid the knock of red surge. They stitch maps in their clothes so they can find their way home. It's in your language, they say. Just remember your names. She's silent when spoken to. She's confused what to do. She opens her mouth to speak. When a nun slaps her cheek, she holds her face in pain. All she was doing was saying her name. His words feel clumsy in his mouth. It's been months since he's gone down south for an education, though he doubts. He's home for the holidays, but he doesn't sound the same. His parents call him over, but he's forgotten his name. There is whispering in the halls and diaries are snatched. Office doors are locked and windows are latched. For assurance, all the ledgers are burned. But the church is unconcerned. After all, every Indian is the same. Parents couldn't even give them good Christian names. They wrote down a lie, said the kids were to blame. Too weak, their lungs were inflamed. They buried them cold in unmarked mass graves. Didn't even have the decency to write down their names. 
I sit here alone with nothing to say. A writer gone wordless on a morning day. Powerless and angry, we know who's to blame, and yet the law protects the killer's names. I call my father, just trying to check in. A survivor's memories are what's haunting him. I offer kind words to try and comfort, attempting to put in the smallest of efforts, so deep in his age and his pain, he couldn't even remember my name. Collectively, the nation decrees. This is a mass act of savagery. We lower flags and don orange shirts, but never move to return the earth. A Catholic apology abstains, and yet no one has bothered to ask, what are their names? Whoa. Powerful. Wow. Survivor, survivor's memory haunting. Whoa, that, that, that really, that's, uh, that's a powerful uh, line. That's wow. crazy. Thank Rebecca, you so thank you so much for uh, giving us a bit of your time. Yeah, thank really you so much episode. for having me. I, yeah. I really appreciate it. It's always nice to talk to folks from communities that kind of have similar histories that kind of you just you just get it in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah. of course. You yeah. know? Yeah, I do. I totally do. I mean, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're on this journey of doing this podcast. And, you know, we've been fortunate enough to interview so many wonderful people and experience and them telling us about their experiences. It's, it's been really great. And, and it has brought along, I mean, you know, I, I can, I can't speak for Derek, but it's brought along this Nova Scotian pride and I'm sure I know it has for him. Oh, I'm, but, I'm uh, probably, I'm probably, I know, I know, Nova I know. Scotia. Well, I mean, I just don't want to. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank God we've known each other since we were eight years old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but well, okay. I, I can't speak for him, but it's been amazing to, to, to find these connections, even though we may not know each other, we still go through the same thing. And uh, I'm glad my, my Instagram game was tight. So, so I could, uh, so I could, uh, you know, find some stumble upon someone like you and, and uh, see what you do and uh, share your words and your story. And uh, we thank you for that very much. Yeah, if there's one thing that I can leave you with, um, I had the opportunity um, from September, oh, sorry, October 1st, 2nd and 3rd to do poetry workshops with residential school survivors. And it was like really intense and they were talking about stuff they'd never talked about, but they also said that this was really freeing. And this one gentleman got up and spoke at the very end during closing ceremonies and he, you know, speaks Mi'kmaq as a first language. She sometimes has a hard time remembering word in English, which I think is really wonderful that he was mm -hmm. able to keep the language in that way. And he, mm -hmm. he talks about how when you would go to somebody's home, you'd come back, they would ask you, well, did they offer you tea? Because mm -hmm. that's like the ultimate like part of our like culture and our community and respect is you offer them tea because around that cup of tea, you laugh and you heal and you find joy and, and, you, and you just practice your culture by just being around each other with that cup of tea and he said you know that that weekend was like the perfect cup of tea and so for this here it's like a good cup of tea being able to wow. have this conversation with awesome you. that's thank you that's, a very yeah. high compliment thank you very much i raise my tea to you oh, <laughs> i got one too i got one yeah, too there you go awesome <laughs> <laughs> All right. well thank you so much Wolaliach. it was really great um yes. having a chance to chat You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
ghetto From the one down below To the future of the funk Getting lost in the flow Contact with the spot McX Now it's time to flex With the force from the soul Reaching all aspects Getting deep No time to sleep As you reach your next phase Laying it all on the line New trail stop to blaze The song Breaking new ground from the breakdown. I just laugh with the joy of a beat boy, just kicking it live. A connection so strong, transcribed with the vibe like magic prescribed. Only to see the perfect blend like a diamond in the rough.